Thank you for coming to the podcast. Episode 36 of Top Turtle MMA is brought to you by the best mouth guard on the market. I'm talking about Sisu mouth guards. You can breathe, you can drink, you can talk with your Sisu mouth guard up in your mouth. Sisu mouth guard is the best mouth guard for any high impact sport or activity, whether you're a former professional wrestler, white belt, all the way up to a brown or black belt professional fighter, or you're just doing it as a weekend warrior hobby or sport, MMA, jujitsu, grappling, wrestling, anything that requires a mouth guard. You need to get yourself a Sisu mouth guard. It's like 188.99% better than your average mouth guard. Head on over to SISUGuard.com. You can check out the crazy stats. You can look into their crumple zone technology. It's really the Cadillac of mouth guards, the Tesla of mouth guards, the iPhone of mouth guards. Are those even good examples? Those are all great examples uh, because if you have a Sisu mouth guard, you can see the difference just like you can with all those other products. So head on over to SISUGuard.com and feel the difference for yourself. You can see the difference, you can feel the difference, and you can taste the difference because it is in your mouth protecting your chompers. Hey, if you want to email the show, we're topturtlemma at gmail.com. Give the show a follow on Twitter, Top Turtle MMA. Gumby, tell them about Facebook. Make sure you head on over to our Facebook page at Top Turtle MMA. You can click the like button and get our props parlays and uh our show right in your newsfeed. And you can head on over to MMA-Manifesto.com, the mothership. Gumby is the co-editor of that wonderful website. And you can click on the podcast tab. Our library of shows is there. We're 36 episodes deep. And that is because of you, our fans, and Sisu Mouthguard, our sponsor. We appreciate the heck out of all of you. Episode 36 of Top Turtle MMA is brought to you by Sisu Mouthguards. I am David Tremonti. He is Daniel Gumby Vreeland. If I failed to mention that at the top of this read, let's get on with the show. Are rolling Top Turtle Podcast, episode 36. Thank you so much for joining us, David Tremonti, Daniel Gumby, Vreeland. UFC 203 is in the books. CM White Belt made his debut. <laughs> awesome heavyweight title fight in the main event and a weird co-main event between Verdum and Brown. Where do you want to start, Gumby? Do you want to start with CM White I mean, Belt? I mean, let's get CM White Belt out of the way. Okay. So... <laughs> I'm I just a, want it over with. <laughs> I come from a pro wrestling background. I, I'm what you call a mark for the pro wrestling world. Uh, let's take it from your perspective as a hardcore MMA nerd. What was your takeaway from CM White Belt getting demolished in two and a half minutes by Mickey Gall? I mean, whether or not you're a hardcore MMA fan or a professional wrestling fan, if you are a rational thinker when it comes to this kind of thing, you know, he's there for one reason. He's selling tickets. Everybody knows he's selling tickets. And everybody knows he's not good enough to be in the UFC. Nobody ever said, yeah, this guy is definitely good enough to be in the UFC. I said we don't know before. But regardless of what the situation is, nobody thought he was going to be any, well, maybe a little better than what he showed. But nobody thought he was going to be a, a world beater, so right? I have a question for you. Um, and I, I don't think we're going to break any ground on CM White Belt on what hasn't been said by a million other prognosticators here. But here's my question to you. Maybe take it from a different angle. Was it fair to give him Mickey Gall? Yeah, it's fair. I mean, th- Mickey Gall's 2-0. and Mickey Gall is, with the exception of the person Mickey Gall beat, Mike Jackson, Mickey Gall is the the least experienced person in UFC history. Well, but hold on to one thing on that. There aren't a lot of brown belts in the UFC, even at the higher levels. He is a legit brown belt with the Miller brothers. That's a tall test for almost anyone. Well, I agree with that to an extent, too, but what have we seen of his striking? 
nothing. And we didn't see anything on Monday either. Well, well, on on Saturday. Sorry, that's true. But uh, you know, if if you're the UFC and you're thinking, well, we got to do something that'll at least give. CM Punk a chance. Here's this guy where we know nothing about his striking. Maybe his striking is freaking terrible. CM Punk's over there training with Duke Rufus, world-renowned kickboxer, for two years. I would have liked to think that if CM Punk didn't hit the ground with him, maybe he would have looked like something. I mean, I saw videos of him hitting the bags and shit like that. It looked terrible. But... I'm thinking if you're the UFC, you're thinking he's training with a world-class kickboxer for two years. Hopefully, maybe the striking game leans in his favor a little bit. And we didn't get to see that, which is why I think if Mickey Gall... He got the James Tony treatment. He did. <laughs> and I, I just think it's unfair, and even Rogan said something to this effect, and I love Rogan's candid commentary, which is, it was delusional, he should be in the amateurs, agree, agree, agree. But he also said something very interesting, which is, you know, a brown belt versus a white belt, you don't even see that in jiu-jitsu competitions, that's why you have different divisions. I mean, would Mike Brown not, or sorry, Michael Jackson not have been a more fair first fight for CM Punk? Yeah, that would have been a more fair fight. Yeah, so, because from what we saw from Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson's grappling is no is, better than CM Punk. Right. So that's why I'm saying. I mean, at least pair him up with another white belt and jits. That you could say fighter records two and zero, one and zero, zero and zero versus whatever, but. Brown belt versus white belt, that's a huge disparity. But here's my question. Other than Michael Jackson, who also doesn't belong in there, and... Yeah, I don't know. I know where you're going I, with I, that. I'm not sure there's another white belt in in the UFC, right? <sighs> well, actually, I wouldn't. a lot of guys come up now, and they're not putting the gi on. I mean, I would say the majority of UFC fighters are probably like purple belts. But, uh, I bet you if, you, if you look for a majority, I bet you most are blue belts, to be honest. Yeah, okay, there you go. Uh, especially because like some schools don't promote you if you're not putting the gi on, like you said. More and more schools are promoting you in no gi You now. Not to put you on the spot, but you did an article last year, plug, plug, or it was earlier this year, of the top, you ranked every UFC fighter. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, was, that was a crazy... Uh, crazy choice for me to do okay so that, that, that was that was taxing from the bottom of the welterweights if you recall i mean there has to be mickey gall could end up being like a pretty good middle of the pack top 15 ranked fighter eventually so uh, if, if he becomes that good are we going to look back on this and say that was an unfair test I, I think we will if he becomes that good but my point is is i'm not even sure we can claim he's that good i mean like <laughs> no one okay, knows he's a He's a brown belt. Take any brown belt in the world. They can have no MMA experience. You put them in and they would have done the same exact shit. Right? Like, he could have zero days sparring with his hands. Zero total days of sparring with his hands. And he still would have done that to CM Punk. You're right. CM Punk overshoots and he would have gotten him down. And he still would have done that probably with the... Mike Jackson. I mean, I think he landed a couple of punches in the Mike Jackson fight, but he could have done the same thing he did to CM Punk. He could have just taken him down and submitted him. Right. So, I mean, yeah, he could be a middle-of-the-pack guy. He could also be the third-worst guy in the welterweight division. I mean, unless they fired Mike Jackson and the second worst. It's funny. I am looking at the bottom uh, tier of the welterweights, and... You know, there aren't a lot of guys with less than three or four pro fights, obviously. I mean, you have uh, Alvaro Herrera from Mexico is seven and four, one and one in the UFC. Yeah, he's a uh, tough Latin America guy or tough Mexico guy. Friend of the show, Anton Zafir is 0 and 2 in the UFC, 7 3 as a pro. Yep. Eric Montano is 7 and 3, 1 and 0 in the UFC. But, you know, to me, just on a matchup, like Eric Montano, what's his. BJJ level. Uh, do you do you know or remember? Montano. Could you give me who he fought? He uh, beat 
Enrique Marin by decision in the UFC. Enrique Marin is the the person who uh, Sage Northcutt beat last. Um, um, no, yeah, I can't tell you about Augusto Montano off the top of my head. Um, I guess my but, point, but, but you're right though. In in the, some of the names you brought up, if we're stereotyping here, Mexico in general has a very high boxing level and a very low jujitsu level. So maybe you could have given him somebody like that. So yeah, Alvaro Herrera, Eric Montano, Hector Urbina are all in the bottom tier, and they're all from Mexico. Yeah, and they could all, you know, and and like I said, you know, maybe I'm stereotyping a little bit, but that is. That seems to be the MO out of there. You know, like that's the same thing with when you're talking about British fighters, British fighters can't wrestle, right? Right. That's that's the stipulation. American fighters only wrestle. So uh yeah, maybe you could have brought somebody but I don't think it matters, man. I, I think in the end of the day, any welterweight in the UFC was gonna squish him. Yeah. Unless you hired somebody shittier than Mickey Gall at, you know, one and oh or two and oh, somebody from a, a goofy ass promotion in North Dakota or something. You weren't going to get anybody who he was going to be. So uh, the tweet were the, there was a tweet. I can't remember who it was. I'll try to get credit where credit's due here in a second. But uh, apparently, and I haven't seen anyone else confirm this, but apparently Dana White said to a certain media member that CM Punk's next fight should not be in the UFC, which I think we all agree with. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And you know what? I'm not even saying that he should never fight in the UFC again. But, you know, put him in RFA, put him in Titan FC, put him in Legacy. I said to you, we were texting back and forth like little girls, the UFC should own one of these promotions and use it as a feeder system, much like Invicta is to the UFC for the women's side. They need that for the men's side. Like, farm them out to Titan FC. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be a feeder system either. But, like, look at what the UFC is doing with uh, Cyborg, right? Cyborg is supposedly supposed to fight in Invicta again. She's got more fights left around her Invicta contract. But what happened was the UFC signed her like freaking two years ago. She was under UFC contract. She still fought a couple of times in Invicta. Why can't they do that with, with CM Punk? Because, you know, they want him under contract so he doesn't go to Bellator and make Bellator a bunch of money. So this actually absolutely did happen. It was on video, and it was Dana White talking to John Pollock of the Fight Network, and he said quote about CM Punk, he probably shouldn't have his next fight in the UFC. Just like I said with Brock, having your first fight in the UFC is tough. That's completely inaccurate because Brock's first fight was not in the UFC and Brock was a goddamn freak of nature and an with, NCAA. With yeah, so yeah. that's an awful comparison. I, I hate that comparison. I don't want to hear any more about that, that, that comparison. How about this off. idea? How about CM Punk on the next episode of the Ultimate, or next season of the Ultimate Fighter? That doesn't really count as the UFC because they're not pro fights. And they, Yeah, you'd get a couple of exhibition Fights yeah. in there. He trained with some killers. And I'll give you an even better idea. Make Anthony Pettis one of the coaches. Yeah. Do Pettis versus Aldo. And he'd and get to hang out Pet- with him the whole time. Right. Or you'd have to coach against him. Ooh, yeah. intrigue. Well, that's what Cejudo's doing now in this season, too. He's coaching against one of his boys. What did you think of... Um, I don't know if you thought anything of it, but in the beginning of the show... Megan O'Levy interviewed Woodley and Pettis, and she was like, oh, what God. do you think of CM that, Punk? And they're both, like, I hyping him that. up. It's like, how you know what? You know what, though? I have to say, while they were both like, yeah, you got to give it to him, did you notice they weren't saying anything about his skill? Right. They were both like, yeah, you got to give it to a guy who would come who in tries. here and tries hard every day. You, you always got to respect that. And the other one's like, yeah, he offered to mop the floor. It's <laughs> like... So and, uh, that's that's one kind of respect, I guess. <laughs> and this is the last thing just to hit on CM White Belt, which is I do think there was a he, he's a nice guy. Obviously, I think he came off great in this whole thing. Um, 
And uh, the whole thing with like, hey, I tried, go big or go home. And then everyone's like patting him on the back. And like, yeah, you know, respect to him for trying it. You know, like WWE, actually the next night, two of their wrestlers uh, made fun of the fight. Like they acted it out in their match as kind of like an F you to him. Mm -hmm. And it's like, hey, you two dudes didn't try it. Like to make fun of someone for trying, that sucks. But this is my whole point with it. Let's not go too crazy. Okay. He didn't like go and save an orphanage from burning. He on the grandest spectacle of all and Robin Black, actually, the the guy who breaks yeah. down fights for the Canadian Network. He had a great post on the underground, which was just like, you know, in all respect to the trying and the dream, the real dream. He kind of robbed himself of the process. He should have done it the right way, which is start at the amateur level, learn from your mistakes, work up and then earn the dream. Yeah. He didn't earn. He the cashed dream. a check in that he had before. Right won his dream long time ago with his own publicity and then burn it to the ground. Yeah. In, in, in an embarrassing fashion in yeah. front of a million people. All right. Do you want to talk about a real fight? Yeah. Uh, I mean, if you want to call the co-main event a real fight. <laughs> uh, oh yeah. So we're going there. Uh, so what a crazy, um, crazy heavyweight co-main event. Uh, Fabricio Verdum beat Travis Brown via unanimous decision. Brown dislocated, broke his finger in the first round. Pause, tried to call timeout. The referee allowed it, which is not, <laughs> allowed Verdum got a shot in and then craziness after the bell as they were announcing the uh the winner uh Edmund Taverdian good old coach started jawing with Verdum and Verdum teep kicked him uh to keep him away and then all corners were kicked out of the octagon let's take it from the fight first and then we could talk about uh coach Edmund what was your takeaway from the fight so first of all that refing fiasco was like hilarious to me uh I was watching it with with some guys who are not so familiar to the UFC and I was like they got to get Mark Ratner on here. Mark Ratner would know all about this rule. And Joe Rogan goes, and we're turning it over to Mark Ratner. And I was like, yes. Uh, and it, it, he was right. He was like, that that should have been a TKO. If if he needs a timeout to check and see if his finger is okay, he's done. It's not like your eyes or your nuts. You know, you, get, you don't get no time for your fingers. You know, should you get time for your fingers, though, devil's advocate? No. Should nuts, eyes, and fingers all be grouped <laughs> together in one group of like, because... You know, maybe if you have a dislocated finger and you could just snap it back into place real quick and then move on with the fight, I'd rather see a competitive fight. I, I mean, that's true. But then, like, where do you draw the line? What happens when somebody breaks his hand? Is his hand part of the finger? What if somebody has a spiral fracture in his... I'm just thinking nuts, eyes, and small digits. Uh, okay, so you wanted to stop it and let John Jones look at his foot when he was fighting Shale Sonnen? Mm. Uh, I mean, Josh Emmett, friend of the show, fought with a, you know... Not only dislocated finger, but the bone was sticking out of the skin. Dude kept fighting and won. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I get it. I get stopping for, like, a small injury, but, like, there's no place to draw the line if, if you know, you start at fingers, you go to hands, you go to wrist. What At what point do we stop, right? At least with eyes and nuts, like, nuts, uh, uh, that one's obvious, right? We, we all deserve a timeout for an illegal kick to the nuts. Same with the thing in the eyes. That's an illegal poke. Both of those things are illegal. Nothing that Verdum did to Travis Brown's hand was illegal. Right. He threw a punch. He tried to block it with his hand. His hand got messed up. You either fight with a broken hand for the rest of the fight or you call it quits. Yeah, and I'll yeah, no, well said. And I'll, I'll pat myself on the back. I really thought from the get-go after the flying kick to start the fight, which was awesome. <laughs> I thought Verdum looked injured and it came out after the fact that he was. He got a cortisone shot on his foot. 
earlier in the night. He also looked a little out of shape. I'm guessing he couldn't do the cardio that he normally does into the fight if he had a bad foot. Um, and I just, I don't know. I was kind of annoyed by his game plan. I get the spinning shit and the weird somersault kicks because if it does go to the ground, yeah, he's more comfortable there. But I almost just thought doing a straight boxing match at that point would have been the way to go for him. So, uh, so here's my question for you. Do you think all of that weird crazy flying spinning rolling wheel kick bullshit do you believe that was all because he didn't care if it went to the ground or do you believe that was all to make it super showy so when he won by some crazy thing he would be like i sell tickets yeah the latter probably yeah because that's how i felt i was like he is trying to put on this like crazy look at me i'm a crazy flying anthony pettis-esque striker put me in a title fight again and I think the fight did the exact opposite. Yeah. At the end of that fight, I was like, don't even care if I get to see Verdum for the title again. I'm ready for Cain Velasquez. And that's, I was going to ask you, where do we go next? And the obvious answer, I don't even need to ask you. It's Cain versus Stipe. It's Cain versus Stipe. It has to be. I don't think Verdum did enough to earn himself a shot. Verdum could wait, or you could do the uh, JDS fight with him. Yeah, I don't think he, he can wait. I don't think he did enough to earn the right to wait, and I think he's he runs the potential of running into a guy who puts on a crazy good performance. You know, like, what if JDS fights over him in a rematch and just flattens him? Mm-hmm. You know, then Verdum, are you next? It might be JDS Kane three. I don't. And at the heavyweight division, like, you know, your your boy Arlovsky's looked bad in the past few. If he comes back and goes on a run, it's so wild up there. Yeah. Everyone's one punch away from looking. When good. you got, you know, Derek Lewis, too, is on the verge of making himself a contender. So, I mean, there are a couple of people there. He could fight one more and look really good and, and find himself in a title fight. What do you do with uh, Travis Brown? who's kind of an interesting case. I think two and four since moving to Glendale Fight Club. Where do you go with him? Well, I think first of all, you got to get him out of Glendale Fight Club. And, <laughs> and, you know, you know, people say terrible things about Edmund all the time, but in all honesty, since he's moved there, he's looked worse and worse and worse and worse. You know, and mm-hmm. and you can say whatever you want about that coach. You can say he's a great coach. You can say he's only a great coach for small people. What, whatever your argument is, I don't really care. I just know as a case study, Travis Brown, it's not working. And as far as where we're going with matchups, I think he's got to take some time off because this whole like. Yeah, I just fought Kane, but I got to get right back in there because I'm not that hurt thing. Wasn't smart. I mean, whether or not he was fully healed from Kane or not, he didn't look in it ever. Uh, we'll move now to the main event, which was Stipe Miocic. Uh, he got knocked down by Alistair Overeem, survived a Alistair Overeem guillotine attempt. A got very good one. A very that. good one. Got it back to his feet, was able to knock Overeem down. Actually, how did he get Overeem down? Did he get him down? He, 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 t- he shot a double. He shot a double yeah. and then was able to ground and pound and just flatline him, turn off the motherboard, as they said. I Bounce tweet- his head off the mat like a goddamn basketball. <laughs> I tweeted it out after the fight. His quote, I was just looking to turn the motherboard off. I mean, that should be a Reebok shirt right there. <laughs> um, but uh, Stipe looked great. What do you think? You know, no one's ever defended the belt more than twice. If he could get past Kane in his next one, you know, he would obviously be set up to make a record and d- defend the heavyweight belt three times. I don't know anyone else. I mean, dude, this guy's year has been incredible. KO's Arlovsky, first round. KO's um, 
uh, who did he beat? Oh, Verdum for the title back in May, first round. And, and then now he can't KO's over him. And he might be lined up for another fight before the end of the year. Have you ever seen a heavyweight champ fight four times in a year? And, hey, who's to say he doesn't knock out Cain Velasquez in the first round? Yeah. Uh, well, I'll be the first one to say that. that I don't think he knocks I'll, I'll tell Kane. you right now, I'm picking Stipe versus Cain. Oh. We could talk about that when we get there. Yeah, yeah. When when that, that fight eventually does go down, we can, we can chat about that. But, oh, by the way, in our championship... Champions draft that we did a few weeks ago. I now have one point. Oh, because Steve has a defense. I, you haven't had any champions defender not defend, but I have one point. Well, I, I know I got. No, is it you that has Mighty Mouse Johnson? I have Mighty, but you have JJ. Oh, okay. so we were kind of even that'll, there. That'll go even. Um, <laughs> but anyway, what were you going to say though? So Stipe versus Kane is where you go there, and what do you do with your boy Overeem? I mean, I think he just needs to take, uh, you know, again a step back. Take some fun fights, you know, take people like Mark Hunt or JDS or something like that. All right. So let me just ask you this, Gumby. Overall, as a card, as a spectacle, as a series of fights, did you enjoy UFC 203? I did. I would say that in order to truly enjoy UFC 203, you had to enjoy the undercard. Um, because, you know, obviously that, that co-main event didn't live up to the hype. CM Punk, you know, you felt like you were being duped the whole time. Um, so, I, but, but there were good fights on the undercard. Who impressed you? Uh, Jimmy Rivera, uh, number one. I mean, he took it to Uriah Faber. Uriah Faber barely walked out of the cage with, uh, you know, with his leg. Uh, it reminded me a lot of what Jose Aldo did to Uriah Faber. And I loved, as much as I hate that she won because I'm a big JoJo Calderwood fan, Jessica Entrade is putting the 115-pound division on blast. I got to say, I honestly believe, too, as just a matchup goes, I know Ioana would light her face up like a Christmas tree. But she's, she, she's an awful matchup. Yeah, if she could get Ioana down on the ground, Ioana would have a tough day at the office. Yeah, and you know what? I actually think on her feet, too. In in early rounds, at least, uh, she's a uh, bad matchup for John J. Jack. Uh, in early rounds. I, I would say, like, the first two minutes. I th- yeah, I agree. I know where you're going with that. But to me, it's almost the same parallel as you make to, like, a John Jones rumble, which is if Jones could get past that first round, I'm completely satisfied with Jones beating Rumble. I, I, yep, I completely agree. Yeah, that, it's kind of the same. I said the same thing, though, about JoJo. If JoJo could survive the first, I think I said three minutes, she'd win the fight, and right. she didn't. right. Um, so, you know, I think that kind of puts a button on 203. Yeah. We'll turn our attention now to UFC Fight Night 94, which takes place this Saturday in Hildago, Texas. And we had the pleasure of talking to Albert Morales, who is making his UFC debut, looking for a fight alumni. And I'll tell you right now, folks, don't turn that dial, even though you're not listening to our radio. Uh, He's really well-spoken, and this was a good interview. So we will play that now. And it, of course, is brought to you by... Mine and Gumby's home gym, New England Submission Fighting, a mixed martial arts gym in Amherst, Massachusetts, uh, home of the UMass Minutemen. If you're in the area, Western Mass, Southern Vermont, Northern Connecticut, Eastern, Upstate New York, I'm just throwing out directions at this point. But if you're anywhere near Amherst, Massachusetts, you are doing yourself a disservice if you don't stop by and train. Tell them Dave and Gumby sent you. You'll be treated with a smile, a hug, and a choke. New England Submission Fighting brings you our interview with... UFC debutante fighter, Albert Morales. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland here with my co-host Dave Tremonti, and we are talking to Albert Morales, who fights this Saturday against Alejandro Perez at UFC Fight Night 94 in Hildalgo. So, Albert, let's kick right into it. Uh, You had maybe one of the most memorable moments on the Looking for a Fight show. Uh, Describe what you were thinking when you decided to pick up Dana White. 
Uh, there was no thinking involved in that. As you know, it's just straight emotion. Um, feels good to accomplish a goal that you set out for. You know, um, there was nothing else. I just wanted to give that big guy a big hug. Yeah, so uh, you know, with with data in the stands, uh, for those who haven't seen the the episode, uh, you land a twenty second knockout. Uh, did you feel like there was any added pressure knowing Dana was sitting in the front row, and did it change your game plan at all? No, not even a little bit. You know, my main focus was just to knock out Mario Israel. You know, same thing with the UFC this this weekend. You know, I'm just in there to knock out uh, Alejandrito. Uh, we've had other looking for a fight alumni on the show, and I like to just ask this question. Are you happy you came up and got a contract via looking for a fight instead of having to go to the Ultimate Fighter house? Would you have done the Ultimate Fighter house? Was that ever on your radar? Definitely. That was actually my dream was to be on the Ultimate Fighter, win that, get my nice little Harley and, you know, ride it into the <laughs> UFC. But, um, no, yeah, it was. I'm, I'm not complaining, man. Whatever got me there at this point, I was just looking for an opportunity to, to get out there on the big stage and whoop all these guys' butts. Yeah, so you even mentioned, uh, you know, being a, a fan of the Ultimate Fighter or wanting to to be on the Ultimate Fighter. Your opponent this weekend, uh, Alejandro Perez, has been on the Ultimate Fighter. He's an Ultimate Fighter alum. Did you get a chance to check out any of the, the season with him on it? Uh, no, I, I, I think I, I watched, like, maybe, like, maybe a couple minutes of, 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 of one of his fights on the show. But, um... No, I haven't checked it. I haven't looked into him. My coach does all the, the you know, the scanning and, 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 you know, game planning. So I, and I just follow my coach's advice. I tell, you know, the way I say he's playing a video game and I'm the little video game character and he has all the cheats. <laughs> yeah, so I don't, yeah, so I don't, I don't really pay attention to my opponent too much. You know, I just trust in my coach and my team and whatever he tells me is that's what I'm going to do. Awesome. So l- let's talk a little bit about those cheats. So uh, you said, uh, you know, Alejandro Perez, it, you know, if you're not super familiar with him, it has been super successful in the UFCs, three and one, two fight win streak. They were ready to give him Manny Gamburian, certainly a, a household name in the MMA world. Uh, why, why do you have the cheat codes to, uh, to stop this hype? I don't even have the cheat codes. That's just on super easy mode. Um, <laughs> wow. I'm not, yeah, yeah. Super duper easy mode, you know, um, I'm ready to go out there and just take his head off. I, I, I've made it publicly known. I think I know I'm going to finish him in the first round with an overhand right. Um, sometime, I'm not going to say exactly when, but it's coming. Um, you know, my coach believes it's going to be in the second round, but, you know, that's a little sideways me and him are doing. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't, man, it, it's just I, I feel like most of the Bantamweight division has, you know, another thing coming. I'm, I'm here to take over. Um, I'm excited. I feel like we have the game plan for most of these fights. And I'm ready to hit the the, the main. I'm th- thank God I'm on the main card, so I get to show the world what's up. But uh, I, I want to be. I want to head to that title as fast as possible. Absolutely. And you mentioned the bantamweight division, which has kind of seen. You know, it's been revitalized recently. I feel like the bantamweight division has never been more stacked with talent. Uh, as an up and coming fighter, a guy making his debut, uh, top of the division is obviously Dominic Cruz, uh, the stalwart of the division. Is he a guy? Uh-huh. You've, looked up to in the yeah, past yeah, yeah. yeah is that yep. is that someone you've kind of modeled your career after like who are some of the guys that you look at and you say that's who i'm modeling my career after well honestly like well, dominic cruz has been one of my favorites for a long time but um as of modeling my career I, I i don't follow anybody i guess in mma um people that i try to model my career off would be like um of course muhammad ali i like mike tyson uh triple g right now is the man um uh, uh Let's see, let's see, let's see. Uh, even guys outside the NFL, I mean, uh, fighting would be like 
Kobe Bryant, um, a lot of guys, man. I, 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 I don't really try to copy anybody. I kind of see, like, things that I like. And what, what I care about is your mentality. Um, you know, the mental aspect is everything for me. You know, it's all about how you prepare mentally and, and how you can stay mentally sharp inside of a fight. You know, it's all mental. The physical part, yeah, sure, everybody in, in the UFC is tough, but it's what you do with that and how you use your, your skills to, to, to win fights. And that's what I look up to more than anything. Um, Dominic Cruz, yeah, he, he's got a pretty good mental. You know, he, he's very self-aware, and I respect Dominic Cruz. Um, but, you know, now I'm, I'm in it to take his head off also. Um, I, I, you know, it's that saying that, um, you, you know, you, you, you train until your rivals, be, I mean, your idols become your rivals, and I, that's where I'm at right now. Absolutely, and that's very well said. Now, I'm kind of curious, though. So you mentioned just as far as people you've looked up to, you say Ali, Triple G, two boxers, Kobe Bryant, NBA, uh, future Hall of Famer, obviously. What about in the MMA world? Yeah. Like, who's your, who's your guy for MMA? Like, when you were younger, were you a GSP fan, an Anderson Silva fan? Oh, def- uh, so as a, as a kid, man, the, the guy was BJ Penn for me. Um, Hell yeah. Just because... Yeah, just because BJ was just, you know, I, I I consider him the GOAT, man. He fought every, you know, every weight class possible. Did he even fought Leona Machida once? You know what I mean? So he, he's he's definitely, in my eyes, like the GOAT. Um, obviously, Anderson Silva, who's actually a friend of mine, he's he's an awesome guy, too. Um, guys that I actually lo- like, that I enjoy watching, like, you know, that motivate me. I like um, Joe Lozon. He always comes to fight. Um, let's see. I, dude, I love Jim Miller. I love that fight that they had. The, not the second, the first fight. Um, dude, who else do I like? Um, uh, Robbie Lawler, of course. You know, he's the man right now. Right now, dude, the, the the only guy that I can really say that I really look up to in MMA right now would probably be Conor McGregor. And not, you know, his, his fighting is amazing, but I like what he brings to the game. I like the, the you know, honestly, like I know before, before he came in, I didn't see too many MMA guys wearing suits, and now everybody's kind of like, acting a little bit more professional. I see more suits at the press conference. I I see everybody boosting. You know, I feel like before MMA was kind of like a like a tough man sport and everybody just had to be like, you know, tough tattoos and stuff. Now we're kind of being seen as uh, professional athletes, and, and, and I really dig that. Yeah, that's so, that's, that's absolutely an an awesome point. Is that you know while while people listen to his uh, his bravado a lot, people also uh, should realize how how much of the professionalness he brought to it. Uh, let's talk about being comfortable on the mic, because you know obviously we've only been talking to you for like six minutes right now, but you have uh, quite a bit of mic presence for a guy who's uh, making his UFC debut. Uh, you've also fought in Bellator, World Series of Fighting, uh, RFA, pretty much all the big promotions outside of the UFC. Do you think that that has an influence on how comfortable you feel uh, when talking about how good you are? You have fought in some of the best organizations not named the UFC. Yeah, um, I guess it. it, it, it... Yeah, nah, I really don't think so. I just feel that I've, I, you know, this is what I've meant. To, uh, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is, you know, this is everything I train for, and uh, just having the right people in the in my corner. Um, yeah, like uh, I, I feed off of this. Like, you know, debuting for Bellator, it wasn't really, you know, it was a big deal. But the way my coach registered it, really wasn't a big deal. You know, this is this is where we belong, and this is what we're training for. So I guess that's what builds the confidence and, and, and um, you know, the way I speak and everything. It's just we, we just grind really hard, and we know our potential. We know what we're worth, and we know that, you know, what we're here to do. We're just here to, you know, get in, bust some heads, and make some, and collect checks and, 
and that's exactly you know there's no there's no there's no real confidence it's just what we're plan what we're here to do and, and it's not hard to say what we're gonna do absolutely and you know coming up through looking for a fight i think it's a really good spot for a fighter because you get that guaranteed uh marketing push from the ufc and we've seen that time and again obviously sage northcutt is like the extreme example but then you look at mickey gall getting cm punk being able to kind of make a name for himself off of that i mean that came though because he was featured on dana white's own show uh randy brown got a similar hype he got to main i guess you could call it main event a fight pass prelim uh and then you know it's a good spot to be in have those guys Guys, the other alumni of looking for a fight, have they impressed you? Is there anyone more so than another? Uh, you know, maybe Mickey Gall, not that we really got to see him against top flight competition, but, you know, what do you make of some of the other alumni and how they've done? Uh, you know, um, I, Mickey Gall, he did what he was supposed to do. You know, like, I props to him, and um, he, I think he's doing the right thing by calling out Sage. You know, that that's going to be, hopefully that goes down because that will be cool to watch, not just because they're both from looking for a fight, but that does bring a little spice to it. You know, um, I like the fact that Sage is taking, you know, every opportunity he can to, to, to you know, market himself. He was he actually came back on one of the episodes of Searching for, Looking for a Fight, so that was pretty cool of him. Um, as for anybody else, no, I, I feel like they're not taking advantage of the opportunity. Um, this is a big opportunity, you know, um, and I feel like, you know, I feel that we haven't been performing and making uh, Uncle Dana look very well on uh, TV, you know. I feel that, you know, he gave us an opportunity. We should we, we should be more than prepared to knock out any of these guys that they put in front of us because I'm pretty sure most of these fighters think that we're getting uh, fed, um, we're being fed, but uh, I'm here to, uh, you know, prove that. And, and that I'm was not- a- that was a very similar feeling when the Ultimate Fighter first came out. I think a lot of the the current roster at the time felt like those guys were getting a pass, and and maybe there is kind of that that sort of element now to looking for a fight. And it was well said, Albert. And you're going to try to prove that this Saturday uh, against Alejandro Perez at UFC Fight Night 94, Hidalgo, Texas. Uh, Albert, we cannot thank you enough for the time, and we wish you the best of luck in the fight. Hey, thank you guys. Thank you guys for having me, and. Uh... One last thing, uh, if you guys want to make some money, I am the underdog, so bet on Money Morales because uh, it's a for sure paycheck. Boom. We uh, we do a little props and parlays and uh, gambling preview on the show, so uh, we will reference that when we get to that part of the show. Uh, we like it. We like going with the underdogs. Sounds good. So there you have it, Gumby. Albert Morales. Yeah, he is uh, He is a confident one. Uh, you know, it's rare to see a guy making his UFC debut uh, already is calling out the tops of the division. But, I mean, he truly believes, and, and he has the right to believe, uh, that he's got the power to, to beat a lot of those guys because he's undefeated. And he isn't just fighting in, like, local promotions. He's fought for three, like I said in the interview, three of the best promotions outside of the UFC. Yeah, that is pretty crazy. Um, so let's turn our attention now. Uh, to UFC Fight Night 94, which takes place, as we mentioned, Saturday, September 17th, this coming Saturday, from Hidalgo, Texas, and this will be on FS1. Uh, It's main evented by Dustin Poirier versus Michael Johnson at lightweight. Poirier has looked sensational since moving up a weight class to 155. He is, in fact, uh, 
four and zero since moving to lightweight after his loss to Conor McGregor. He beat Carlos Diego Ferreira via KO, beat Yancey Medeiros via TKO, got a unanimous decision win over Joseph Duffy, which was a badass fight, and he KO'd Bobby Green back in June. So Poirier has looked like a world beater since moving to lightweight. Can't stress it enough. He will be fighting Michael Johnson, who you know at one point was a real up and coming. Uh, potential future title contender. He has been on a two-fight losing streak, however. Uh, one and two in his last three. Beat Edson Barbosa via unanimous decision back in February of 2015, but then lost to Benil Darush via split decision. Although, if I recall, he that was beat, a... He won that He fight. won that Let's fight. Let's be real. Yeah. So, really, what he's coming off of is a unanimous decision loss to Nate Diaz, which Diaz used to propel himself to the Conor McGregor title. Uh, and that was back in December of 2015. So this is one badass fucking matchup. Pardon my French. Gumby, who you got here? I'm going with Poirier. Uh, I mean, he's just, I mean, he's like a lightweight cowboy Cerrone. He just figured out finally if he just doesn't drain his body with the cut. His power looks so much better up 10 pounds. You know, not that he didn't have power in those lower weight classes, but all of his wins down there are submission or knockout due to, like, ground and pound. Here he's, like, legitimately got one-touch power. He's rocking dudes. His boxing looks crisper. I think just think he's going to be a bad matchup for Michael Johnson because Johnson's only hope here is to put him on his back, and Poye is no slouch on the ground either. And I do not see Johnson getting Poirier on his back. This yeah, is going to be a stand-up affair for four or five rounds. Yeah, and, it, and if it is, it doesn't favor Michael Johnson. Yeah, so you're going uh, Poirier all day. He is the minus 155 favorite. You can get Johnson as a plus 135 dog. Uh, the co-main event is also a very interesting matchup. You have Uriah Hall, and he's going to be taking on Derek Brunson. That's a great matchup. Uh, Uriah Hall is coming off a loss to Robert Whitaker. That was back in November of 2015. Before that, beat Gegard Mousasi. It was a comeback. If you remember, he lost the first round, but then got the uh, spinning shit <laughs> and got the TKO. And he beat Olawale Bangbos before that via TKO. Uh, that was Bangbos' debut, if I'm not mistaken. So Uriah Hall is 2-1 and one in his last three. You have an interesting opinion on Uriah Hall, don't you? Yeah, Uriah Hall is maybe, no, is definitely the fighter in the UFC who is the least predictable. Uh, you know, he's the type of guy who has the ability to win any and every fight he possibly is put in. I mean, he beat Gegard Mousasi, who I honestly believe is a top five middleweight, maybe top six middleweight if you want to, you know, try to rattle off five names. But in the same token, he's got the ability to lose to anybody because his game planning is just absolute shit. Yeah, I was very excited about the him versus Anderson Silva matchup because I thought that could have been the career propeller that he needed. I don't know but, if I'm But you know what else it could have been? It could have been two dudes trying to throw spin and shit for like, you know, 15 minutes and not landing anything. Um, but yeah, he is very much a frustrating case as Uriah Hall. Anyway, he'll be fighting Derek Brunson, who's on a four-fight win streak since losing to Yoel Romero via TKO back in January of 2014. And that was a fight I thought he had a very good chance of winning, too. If, I, if I'm if i not mistaken, he tagged Romero a couple of times. But then he reeled off a win against Lorenz Larkin via unanimous decision. TKO'd Ed Herman, TKO'd Sam Alvey, and then TKO'd Roan Carnero back in February of this year. So Brunson rides the four-fight win streak. Brunson versus Hall, who you got? I'm going with Brunson for the reasons I just mentioned i mean like hall is just so terrible at game planning and he just doesn't fight to his potential you know when, when you think about anderson silva clowning around and acting like a fool in the cage and not you know going for the kill 100 percent of the time angry all the time 
you're like, that's okay. He's Anderson Silva. He's possibly the greatest fighter that's ever graced to this earth. Uriah Hall is not that yet, and he needs to stop fighting like he, it's that because it's frustrating to watch. It's, there's so much potential there, and he's going to lose this fight. You heard it here first. Eric Brunson, the minus 185 favorite. Hall, the plus 160 dog. Uh, we move now, and we'll do this more in a rapid-fire fashion, Gumby, because the rest of this card, it's it's solid but not spectacular. But this is an exciting fight uh, nonetheless. You have Evan Dunham against Rick Glenn. Evan Dunham, if you wanted to go lay some action on him, minus 280 favorite. Rick Glenn, the plus 240 dog. Who you got? I will say that while uh, while Rick Glenn is a, a pretty large dog here, he's definitely a live dog here. Uh, you know, World Series of Fighting Champion, good kickboxer. Um, I'm still going with Dunham, though. Uh, Albert Morales, the minus 110. This is a pick em, actually. It's Albert Morales, minus 110, or Alejandro Perez, minus 110. Pick em. That's funny because he told us that uh, he thought he was an underdog. He probably just swayed the odds a little bit, you know, when money starts coming down on people. I'm picking him. I, I trust his judgment with the, the overhand right. I mean, he's got some crazy power. Kenny Robertson, minus 105, also a pick em. Rowan Carnero, minus 115. Oh, I'm going to go with, I think I'm going to go with Kenny Robertson on this one. While Carnero's got good takedowns and stuff like that, uh, Robertson's sub game is a lot of fun to watch. He, he hit that kickstand uh, in his UFC debut where he, he got the, or they also call it the Cellueve stretch. Oh, um, is that the knee bar from yeah, the, the top Yeah, the knee turtle? bar from, from a top turtle position. Yeah, really awesome. So I, I'm a fan of that just for that reason. I feel like we were just in a movie, like The Perfect Storm, where one of the characters actually says, it looks like The Perfect Storm. (laughs) Always fun when we could say the words Top Turtle. Chris Wade, the plus 100 dog, uh, really pick him again. Islam Makachev, minus 120 favorite. Who you got? I'm going to go with Wade. Uh, You know, Wade was a little bit overhyped going into his last fight because uh, he was undefeated, having not fought very many people. But I still think he defends against uh, Islam's takedowns and and winds up uh, winning a striking battle. He is coming off the line lost to Rustam Habilov. Uh, and then we don't have odds on any of these fights yet too early in the week, but you have Gabriel Benitez versus Sam Cecilia main eventing, so to speak, the FS1 prelims. So this is really hard for me because I love Mowgli Benitez and I love Sam Cecilia. Uh, Cecilia coming off that loss to Duhu Choi, though, uh, worries me a little bit where his headspace is. So I'm going to go with Mowgli Benitez on this because he is a killer. Is his name not Gabriel? It is Gabriel, but he goes by Mowgli most of the time. I mean, that's his first name, but his nickname's Mowgli. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, Augusto Montano versus Belial Muhammad. I like Bolio Muhammad. He looked really good on a short notice fight. Former Titan champ, uh, good kickboxer. I'm gonna go with Bolio Muhammad and Jose Alberto Quinones versus our friend Joey Gomez. Joey Gomez, all the way. The KO King has got lightning in his hands, and he's gonna get it right here. All right. The fight pass prelims are uh, headlined by Eric Montano versus other uh, looking for a fight alumni, Randy Brown. Yeah, and another friend of the show. So we're gonna go with Randy Brown on this one. We we, we hit a lot of the dudes on this card, man. Uh, another friend of the show, Chaz Skelly versus Maximo Blanco. <laughs> we'll go with the friend of the show again, Chaz Skelly. Well, we really, I mean, for people gambling I mean, on this, we really just broke down some serious well, stuff. Yeah, well, we're going with them for friend of the well, show. Well, I mean, you can laugh about that, but Alberto Mar- or Albert Morales, clear power in his hands. We, we said that. Joey Gomez, huge KO knockout power. He just, you know, fought a tough guy in his first fight in uh, Rob Font. Randy Brown's fight in Eric Montano is his... Hands are way better than Montano's. He's going to win a stand-up battle there. And Maximo Blanco has had problems with his his uh, his cardio. He's going to fight Chaz Skelly, who's got maybe some of the best cardio. So while we picked four top turtle alumni, 
all four of them have got really legitimate reasons to win their fights. Boom. Sun me. I was just trying to bring out the best in you. This has been another edition of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We so thank you for listening. You could email the show, topturtlemma at gmail. Follow the show, Top Turtle MMA on Twitter. Gumby, how do people get us on Facebook? Just search for Top Turtle MMA. Click the like button. You'll get all of our parlays and prop picks as well as the show in your eardrums. Top Turtle MMA. Top Turtle MMA. Top Turtle MMA. We'll catch you next time.